There are few people who embody the quote, take your pleasure seriously more than Yolanda Edwards. Yolanda is the founder of YOLO magazine and former creative director of Con and Ask Traveler. Yolanda is a rarefied type. She's combined her knack for storytelling and eye for images into a full-fledged career that's allowed her to travel around the world, both for work and for pleasure. Yolanda and I met a few years ago while she was the creative director of CN Traveler. At the time, she oversaw the visual output for the publication, but I'd been following Yolanda's work and Joie de Vivre long before we connected through the magazine. Yolanda's Instagram is an extension into her world, one that's filled with a curiosity for the daily adventure. Today, Yolanda shares a story about the trip to Greece that changed her life, the art of visual voyages on Instagram, and what newfound clarity staying still these last few months has taught her. Here, we have Yolanda on the line. Thank you so much for joining me on a call today. The first thing I have to ask is, where in the world are you right now? So right now, I'm in this tiny little hamlet called Miles's, and um, I learned these things from friends in England that towns that are so small that they don't even have a church are called hamlets. So I'm in Miles's in Sullivan County in upstate New York. It's kind of close to the border of um, Pennsylvania, and um, super idyllic, quiet area, and I've been spending most of the last four months here. What has life been like for you these last four months? So life has been, you know, like nothing we've ever experienced. And so um, I think we've all had our own ways that we've dealt with the pandemic. For for me to be in upstate New York for this amount of time and to not be on a plane for this amount of time is like, I'm sure like for you, just kind of, oh, it's, it's so weird, but, but it's been great. And I feel like I've been um, trying to, to sort of take this time to be, ref- you know, just more reflective, reflective on like, how much are we moving through the world? How fast are we moving? How good is that? How can we slow down a bit? What are the benefits of both sides? And I just think this is a like a really intense time of reflection for everybody in the world. And I was actually so curious to speak to you about this because I think some people conditionally are just people who move fast and like fast-paced things and need a lot of stimulation. I definitely identify with that category. Did you find your rhythm going into confinement really easily or did it take some time to sort of adapt to this new normal? Everybody sort of, my husband is like a big, he, he's like the guy who likes to be out every night and is super social. And I always think of myself as like less social and somebody who is just like happy to be given a weekend to to just be alone like when our daughter was really young I would stay home when he would be traveling and I would do photo albums or I'd like find some activity that was super solitary and really like dig into it oddly it's been the reverse during this situation where he has been so into cooking and he's like never been happier to be in isolation <laughs> and I'm like oh my god I got to get out of here I got to get back to Brooklyn. I I need to be around humans. And he's like, what, who are you? Like you're like the antisocial one who's now like the most social being ever. 
And so it's the thing of what you can't have. And for me, that's my personal issue. Like if you tell me I can't have it, then I want it. And so I had, had I had the choice, I probably would have like completely in the beginning, just loved being up here, but I felt like I was being punished or, or grounded. And so I had this sort of like rebellious kind of attitude about it that I think I've learned a lot from, <laughs> okay, like you're not, you're not in control and you have to like roll a little bit more. And as much as you think that you can like plan things and, you know, plan your way out of this, or you can sort of creatively manage your way to a happier place. Like sometimes you just have to live with being out of control and unhappy. I'm always like the super optimist. And so mm -hmm. to be in the place where you're like, all right, maybe I, maybe it's important for me to learn. You can't have whatever you want. <laughs> Everybody has their own lessons that they've had to learn during this period. And for me, I think I'm a Virgo, I'm a consummate planner, I'm an optimist, and all of those things sort of got kind of like stripped away. I hope I've learned lessons um, and found peace during this period that will stay for a very long time. What lessons have you learned through this period that you think you'll take with you when the pandemic is over? I'd like to say I've learned how to be in the moment, but I think it's really hard because we are so connected through our devices to be elsewhere mentally. So there's a part of me that's so creatively stimulated by looking at what other people are doing, seeing other things that are beautiful. Like I love Instagram. I mean, that's so <laughs> weird that I love it, but I do. And I, th I think being super honest, I've been more in the moment, but I'm not completely there. My husband and daughter are always like, just, just leave your phone. Like, let's just go on a walk. I'm like, okay, okay. And then we go on the walk and there's like the most beautiful great blue heron on a pond that's mm. like taking off in flight. And I'm like, that would have been so amazing to capture that. <laughs> I'm like, I, what's wrong with you? Why do you have to share everything? And I'm like, but you know, this is know. your vocation. This is, yeah. this is what you've done. The expression of taking photographs has just become so tied to what you do and who you are. Probably just feels natural to document things. It totally feels very natural. And, but like, okay, back to the what have I learned? I mean, I think that I always have felt like we need to really appreciate every day. And, you know, it's sort of my YOLO mantra. <laughs> mantra. But I do, I do really feel like it is that thing, like when we're kind of caught up in the, let's just take like last summer where like you and I are very, fortunate people who we often get invited to things and we get to see really beautiful places in the world and get exposed to things that, you know, are, are really, really special. I know every summer I would print out a calendar, the three months, I, it actually start like May and go through like mid-September and I'd print it out and it would be so, so busy. And it was like, oh my God, there isn't even like a three-day period in here where I have nothing going on. And that kind of hyperactivity, I think it's great, but it's also like I've learned that 
having days that all blend in to the next. I feel like I'm in a much more meditative place where like I hear things. I can hear a hawk screech and identify that that's a hawk or like we have a lot of crows up here in upstate and there's like this one crow it's like the same crow and i i don't see it but i hear it i'm like oh my god that crow is back the thing that i'm actually noticing like all of the birds like when did i become a bird watcher <laughs> but like that's kind of like what happens or you know we see so much crazy nature up here like crazy bears or like you know watching watching the season change like when we got here it was totally winter and it stayed winter. We even had snow in May, but to watch the trees go from like the things that people in the country are sort of like, well, of course you see the seasons change. And yes, we do in a way where it's like, now it's snowing, now it's foliage, now it's blossoms and now it's beach time. But like to watch the leaves literally blossom and then become a leaf, that kind of intense daily exposure to nature, I've never been able to experience because I've never been in one place long enough. So I feel like that's been such a gift to kind of be deeply slowed down. Is there anything that you miss right now about travel? What I really miss the most about travel is the human contact. We we have a house project that we've been doing in France for like, I think this is our sixth summer that we've been working on it. And it's pretty much done. I would love to be there. It would be so great to just be kind of doing nothing there. But instead, I'm doing nothing here. And, um, but when I think about this stuff, I really miss like, yes, I would love to be swimming in, um, some Mediterranean sea, but I truly miss the hugging, the, you know, hanging out. Like it's the stuff that like, doesn't actually require being far away, far away is where many of my friends are. But I think like, I equally just miss that kind of proximity and closeness to friends that it could be in Brooklyn, you know, and this is a part of what I think is so great about New York right now is that we're finally at that place where when the restaurants finally were able to open up um, whenever that was in June to outdoor cafes. And I was like, how did New York go from being like zombie apocalypse one night to like the next, you know? It's so amazing. And like, even if there are glass barriers between us and, you know, waiters or masks, it's just so great. I feel like we've been through such a strange hibernation that even the little bits that we get of coming out of this hibernation are such a treat. That will also be like another long lasting lesson of like just smiling and seeing somebody's face and being able to have like human touch with somebody like... I actually went to a, a hotel recently and the uh, the general manager was so sweet, you know, a true European like GM. I think he completely forgot that you're not supposed to shake hands oh. <laughs> and he shook our hands and I was so grateful that he forgot because it was like, I don't even know you and like human touch 
with a stranger, it's so great. We can't do that. And of course, like I'll go wash my hands after, but I don't know. It, <laughs> it's just like that simple thing that we never, ever would have thought of as special. Like I can touch you. I can see your smile. I can see something besides your eyes, like very basic elemental things that we think are our rights as humans. And when you don't have those, then you're like, wow, I'm going to appreciate that so much when it comes back. It feels like it's only enlarged our sense of need for our community. Like those are the things that we miss as travelers or all these friends from different places. It doesn't even have to be the location per se. It's just yeah. you develop these relationships and these relationships live all over the world. And that's mm -hmm. truly what's missing. A hundred percent. That's exactly it. It, it. it is totally the community that is the most important thing. And I think that before, because we were able to, to just go anywhere whenever we wanted, maybe we thought that it was the travel that was the thing, but it was actually, I think it's sort of like what travel does, you're away from your, your sort of regular life. So you're more open, you're more vulnerable, and you kind of look around because it's different. I think that what it really is, is that we're different when we travel. It's the way that we act when we're in different spaces. And I think now we are all acting differently because we have to. And so we're all super hyper aware. And I think the hyper awareness now is just more at home or wherever you are during this pandemic, you're already different because you're not going to your office every day. And if you are somebody who is going to an office or you're in some sort of job where you have to go there and they're still open, like it's in such a different reality that nothing is the same. So it's sort of like we're all in this very different mindset, which is actually just like traveling in a way. In what ways do you think travel will change after the pandemic? I think people will be more intentional about how they travel. I think before we would sort of like hop on a plane and go anywhere, be it for a business meeting, be it for somebody's birthday weekend. There was just so much movement happening. And I think that it's very possible that we'll get back to some version of that, probably not in the next year when there's a vaccine, maybe it will go completely back to that. Or maybe people's behaviors will, will change so much where they're like, I love you, but I'm not going to hop on a plane just to go for the weekend to meet you. Let's just have a FaceTime or or maybe it will go back. I, I, who knows? Maybe people will travel again when they can, when there's a vaccine. Maybe they'll travel with a vengeance. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> but uh, Where do you fall I, in that category? <laughs> uh, you know, like I could travel now in the last two weeks, it seems like the states have just become like, let's just stay in the Northeast where things feel really under control. I could have gone to California and spent a lot of time out there. I have good friends there and I have a client that I work with in the Napa Valley. But I don't know. I just sort of was like, I want to stay close to home. So I don't know. I, I think when I travel, I'd like to go somewhere for a long time. I remember once I got invited on a press trip to go to an opening of a hotel in Bangkok. And we literally left on a Tuesday night and we're back on a Sunday. And that was crazy. Now, I don't think I would ever do that again. I would, yeah. I would probably say like, it's wasteful on so many levels. 
if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to be that far. I want to be there for a significant amount of time. And I don't want to just check things off the list. I want to have like a more meaningful experience. So finding deeper meaning in our travel for me, I'd rather I'd rather really research where I'm going, read up on everything, like just be a deeper traveler. I think it was the second issue of YOLO. Belinda Carlisle of the Go-Go's, she and her best friend Lisa, who's an artist out of LA, they do this really amazing thing where every year for the last 20 years, they plan a trip and they say like, all right, maybe we're going to study the Silk Road. So they study the Silk Road. It's kind of like a travel book club, but just for the two of them. And so the whole year they're planning this trip, they're living in this kind of travel research state of mind. And then when they finally get to Uzbekistan for this like three week trip, they're so informed and it's such a deep experience for them because they've actually done the work before they got there. And I think about how many times I'm in a place and I'm like, wait, what's this church call? Like, what's the significance? Like, we remind me about this painting. And I'm like, I have to take the time and become a more responsible, conscientious traveler instead of just always like flitting from one place to the next on Google, like learning about where I am when I'm there. Like, we all know how much deeper it is when you've actually like studied it before you get there. And then how great it is when you get to see the thing that you've been like learning about. And that's kind of where I would like to change my behavior and just travel less, but travel deeper. So as you know, I've been a longtime follower and fan of your work. I especially loved what you did during the rebrand of Condé Traveler, especially when you guys started to release more image-focused covers without bylines and headlines. Tell me a little bit about how that change came about. We had such a turnover of publishers. And so I think at one point we had a new publisher who who said, listen, our newsstand is doing terribly. Like the people that are reading Traveler are subscribers or they're not even reading it, but they're seeing it on Instagram. And so if we can build a brand where we can actually just get out of the mindset of cover lines for a newsstand, they allowed us to do that because I think as a creative, you always hate cover lines and you always want the image that is evocative. I think it's just the industry has always dictated that you have to have an image that is going to grab somebody's attention when they walk by in the newsstand. Well, now that nobody cares about newsstand, we were free. And so that was really a great gift. And then I had such a wonderful partner with Pilar being the editor-in-chief, she really supported that. It was luck and that Pilar really stood behind it because I think every creative director out there would say like, yeah, I wish I could do it. <laughs> I wish I could have had different covers, but the covers were always so dictated by by the business side and what their needs were, not necessarily what was beautiful or impactful or moving. And did you find that by creating the more moving, beautiful, impactful covers that readers responded better? I think we definitely got a different audience. Like, I don't know if you read Traveler before we got there, but, you know, maybe as a really great resource, like there was always such great information 
in Traveler, but the covers were sort of like hot in the 90s. It was like a woman in a red dress, you know, somewhere in a town square, somewhere in the world. Um, and that was very much like red does well on covers. And and if you have enough space on the side of her, it's great for cover lines. So there was a whole kind of methodology behind how they did them. And they just all looked the same. It was like if you were in Rome or you were in Jaipur, the covers all looked the same to me. I think we definitely got people who were more interested in design and were happy to have something like Traveler on their coffee table. And I think also Instagram brought us a new follower, but it's always hard to know how much Instagram converts over into people actually purchasing a magazine because those metrics don't necessarily work out. It's like, just even think about how many people follow you versus how many people actually like a picture. <laughs> like, if, if you can't even double tap on this picture, you're certainly not going to convert to buying a magazine. So it's like human behavior and how people said they liked it and advertisers in the luxury market really liked it. But I think that the travel industry didn't like it because it didn't scream travel. It screamed more emotion than it did, hey, take a cruise <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, you know, this is filled with hotel information. And so we were kind of always trying to push it and say, to the travel industry, like, we know we're not doing things in a super obvious way, but that's kind of the point. Like, don't you want to be adjacent to this content that is going to reach out and connect to people on a more emotional level? You know, we were getting there, but just when we got there, what the industry was all falling apart, media industry, as well as travel. It's an interesting time for sure for being in a print publication. Did you always want to be a travel editor? How did this role come about? You know, I, I don't think I knew that there was even a job of a travel editor. My parents are very, let's see, my dad is a piano teacher. He's like an obsessed learner. I remember at one point he was like, I'm going to learn biblical Greek and like <laughs> taught himself biblical Greek. He would take shopping bags and just write out Greek words all over these shopping bags all over the house. He was a very kind of obsessed learner about things. Like now for the last five years, he's been super obsessed with Vietnam. And so he's studying Vietnamese and he's like, that's his thing. He definitely instilled in me this love of learning something new and going deep on it, but they were not travelers at all. And we, you know, we grew up very humbly. There was nobody in their circle who would ever have talked about travel ever. The extent of our travel would have been like we lived in Washington State until I was 10 years old. We would drive down to see his parents down in the Bay Area. So we would drive I-5 and I would like beg, please, can we overnight at one of those like motels that have a pool? I remember we would drive by so many and you'd see like the glow of the, the blue swimming pool. You know, every once in a while they'd be like, okay, okay, we'll stop instead of like going to our aunt's house um, who's midway and sleeping on a super bump, lumpy bed. So we'd stay <laughs> in like one of these like motels. And I remember like how special that felt to like swim in a swimming pool 
and be able to like get a soda from the vending machine and like the idea of like an ice maker these things that only exist in a motel or a hotel and like that you get to enter into this other world and experience it i think that that was sort of my first place that i really was like okay i like <laughs> i like <laughs> hotels and then like when i got into into sort of middle school years somehow I just gravitated to travel information and I got my grandfather to give me, I think it was like my 13th birthday, I got like a New York Times subscription, which is so weird that I asked for that as a 13 year old. Yeah. But like, this was also like in the days when like, you know, when you're, when you're 13, you start plastering your room with posters and women's wear daily had a, um, it was like a version of W Magazine, and it was like this beautiful poster size. It was like if you took a newspaper today and then you folded it out and, and you could actually make posters out of it because the quality was super high. And so my room was just plastered with that. I basically was like, I want to be in that place where that was photographed. And and then, you know, like movies and exposure to things at friends' houses because we didn't have a television. My parents are like super conservative, born-again Christians. So like there was no TV. It was basically like a blackout on modern <laughs> civilization. <laughs> so I found ways to, of course, bring that into my life. That's where the rebellious nature started. And then I found, I became friends with people whose parents were really into cooking or traveling. So, you know, for me, like people who were into food introduced me to culture. So it was like, oh, we're going to cook from a recipe book. And that recipe comes from a place that is not here. And the idea of that just was like traveling for me. So I just, I sought out people who exposed me to new things. And at one point when I was 16, I got invited to go on a trip with my friend and her family to Greece. And then we were going to go to Europe to other places afterwards. So I said to my parents, well, why don't I meet her in Greece? But before I'm going to just go to France and Italy and then take the ferry. And they were like, all right, that's, that's, I don't know why they said, all right, but they did. And I flew by myself, spent like six weeks in Europe and like, it totally changed my life. And that feeling of being somewhere in the world, nobody knowing where you are, that freedom, it's the thing that completely converted me. And that's the feeling that I love. I actually have chills right now because I have experienced feeling that imprint of experiencing the world for the first time. It's so powerful. It's very powerful. You sort of have the dream job. Does it ever get tiring traveling and covering all of these beautiful destinations? No. Travel for me is never tiring. I think I like any kind of traveling. Like if anybody said to me like, okay, right now meet me in Rochester, I'd be like, great, let's drive. Okay. And I'll find like a good place along the way. Like I love driving. I love finding something new, you know, and sometimes there are like, <laughs> they're like mishaps. Like yesterday, my husband and I dropped our daughter off in Fire Island and uh, well, on the ferry to Fire Island. And then on our way to upstate, I said, well, 
let's take that exit to city Island. I've never been there. Um, and he's like, yeah, I've never been there either. So I'm literally like two minutes trying to find something that's <laughs> good, which, well, you know, had I actually researched it in advance, like I probably could have found something better or maybe not, but we end up at some place for lunch in the moment. We were like, this is fun. It's okay. Like, it's not great food, but it's okay. And then we got in the car and he was like, do you think we're going to get sick? And I was like, this is the hazards of, of being obsessed with travel. Like, it wasn't enough to just kind of drive by. Like, we had to try the place and see if it was okay. And actually, while I didn't like anything that we ate, they had this like very old school kind of like garlic bread. I'm sure it was not very good butter or whatever, but it was just like a location food thing where you were like, this is so good. And they had clams on it. And Matt today is like, I'm going to make that clam garlic bread, which was totally inspired by some kind of divey place that we found from probably like, I don't know, TripAdvisor media. <laughs> Abrupt off-roading adventure. Exactly. And and yet, you know, still finding something that's a takeaway that, you know, but like, do I get tired? No, I just love seeing new things and I'm pretty happy anywhere on the road. I love that. You truly embody what your magazine is, which is YOLO, and try everything once and experience everything if you can. And actually, I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to start YOLO Journal? Once I got that Times um, subscription, I made files of like, if I ever get to New York, this is what I'll do. Because Traveler, while I haven't been there now for almost two years, they still have a, a small team there that produces all of their kind of digital content. Some of my former colleagues are, are still there. And they've said, we can't bear to get rid of your files. And they're like, what do we do with them? And I said, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you to get rid of them, but I don't want them either. I'd have to get three file cabinets to have everything. <laughs> and I never referenced them in 10 years, but the idea of them is just, I have such a nostalgia for it. Um, so it's very sweet that they hold on to them <laughs> or maybe they should not and they should just burn them, but, um, but whatever. I think that I've always felt like that magic that first trip was is something that I want everybody to have that feeling. It's a little bit the way like somebody who's really gifted in the kitchen kind of wants to make somebody happy with food or to teach somebody like who doesn't know how to cook. You can do these couple of things and then you don't have to say I can't cook anything that kind of like wanting to share that enthusiasm and that travel confidence and like it's not that hard to get out there you don't put walls around yourself I've always wanted to find the way to communicate travel that's a little off the beaten path or maybe you're like I've always wanted to go to Italy but it's too expensive and I couldn't afford to do x y and z or whatever and like to teach people like well then just go to that place and just have like one drink just one drink and like you'll kind of get the vibe of the place. Like you don't have to be rich to travel. Like travel makes you richer, but you can find- You can do it scrappy. Yeah, exactly. I've always been involved in like travel production. Like I, I was a photo editor. No matter what job I've had, I've always been 
somehow circling the travel space. And then when I was at Traveler, I was like, okay, this is really a great opportunity, but we never were really able to break free of the tradition or the the templating of a very expensive, renowned writer who would pitch a story, and then you'd have a very expensive, renowned photographer who would execute the the imagery for the story. And I was like, yeah, but those people don't necessarily know the places. Like if you're a photographer who's just kind of going on an assignment and is following a shot list, you're not actually exploring it and feeling it. You're just kind of following. Listen, there's been amazing photography and writing in many, many travel publications. And I'm not taking away from that. But I like the thing where it feels like a friend who has good taste told me. And I actually think that I prefer writing that doesn't come from a traditional writer because it feels more pure. Like if somebody's like, you're going to love this place. It is so amazing. And you need to order this drink and then ask for this thing that's off the menu. That's the travel intel that I think we all really want. I don't think that reading a 3,000 word piece is necessarily what you want when your boots on the ground in a certain place. And so that's where I think like Instagram has really changed the field because remember when I asked you about can I get your Paris list? I think you were the first one who who I learned about Cravan from. After that, we've become friends with the guy and like have gone there so many <laughs> times. That. And like you're not writing for Travel and Leisure and Condé Nast Traveler. And I'm sure if you pitched it to them other than digital, they'd be like, um, well, uh, you could photograph it and you could yeah, that would be cool, but we would probably have a writer. It, like that's and and maybe things will will change because nobody has money. But that's the old world mentality of magazine making. And I always was like, but we're we're missing. We're spending a lot of money to get at information that doesn't feel really authentic and fresh and coming from a person that. <clears throat> that I trust. And I wanted to break down those walls where it could be a photographer. There's this guy who I adore, Dylan Don, and he's this like hilarious German guy who who shoots like a lot of fashion stuff. I met him through Matches Fashion. And he loves food and he photographs it in like a really fun way. But no food magazine would ever hire him. And so I saw he was in South of France at some restaurant. And I said, those pictures are amazing. Can we do a story? So he sends me the pictures. And I said, well, like, let's just record a conversation where you talk about the restaurant. So we we did that. And like, I just basically write the story from the transcript of our call. That for me is more where I want YOLO to go, where it's true intel with yeah. beautiful pictures. But I don't think you walk away from it saying like, oh my God, that was the most beautiful transporting 3000 word essay on Sri Lanka. But you you might say, I want to go to Sri Lanka because I really loved those pictures and like I feel like I have a sense of it, but I'm going to go discover it further. So it certainly doesn't replace amazing travel writing and photography, but it's not trying to do that. It's just like a, a little bit of a different approach. 
the print industry has been in decline for years now. And what would you say makes print magazines successful today? You know, I feel like the niche magazines are doing better than the sort of legacy publishers. Like maybe AD is an example of a legacy brand that I think people are actually enjoying it and talking about it. And it seems like people are responding really well to Amy Astley's AD. So I would say that is one. If we had this call like three months ago, I would have said, oh, I think Bon Appetit is is an example. (laughs) It's like it always starts with the niche interest then because AD is still very specific. They know exactly who their reader is, someone who's obsessed with design and architecture. And again, Bon Appetit, it's like someone who's obsessed with food. Right. It seems like of the legacy publications, the ones that are doing really well are the very targeted interests. Right. I don't know anybody who's looking at Vogue, but I think Vogue is like a carrier for advertisers today. And I think that probably the key to why niche will always rule in this world is because Niche means you actually know who your reader is and you care about them. And so you, you deliver to them something that you know they want. And when you're broad, you're, you're basically just appealing to the advertisers at that point. It's so broad. I mean, I think about Gentlewoman. Now, that's a magazine that you pick up. It's so beautiful. You know, if you feel like reading it, it's probably going to be very intelligent. I think that Holiday is a beautiful. I love Holiday. Yeah, it's such a beautiful publication. These magazines like Luncheon or Pleasure Garden that are just these big, beautiful, they just look good. And I love World of Interiors, I think, always has something really beautiful in their feature stories. What do you find most rewarding about having your own magazine? Different people reach out to me who I never would have met before. And, you know, that happens on Instagram. It happens in print. I like this kind of, I don't have to be an expert on the world. I'm just curating different people who come my way um, and and introducing them or giving them a platform with YOLO. So I, I love that. Whereas that, you know, Condé Nast or kind of legacy publishing, it always begins with the editors and it isn't so open. It's it's a little bit like a closed community. I think that's changing and evolving because it has to, but I feel like very lucky that YOLO gets to be this platform for, for many. While it's hard to do everything on your own, it's also like I can do whatever I want with the layouts and I don't have to run anything by anybody. And with these niche publications, you can really see like the imprint of the person who's doing the curation. I think it's so nice because the world is so big. I would love it if there were more. (laughs) It would be great. Like I love what Maureen is doing with the Instagram account, Italy Segreta, and how she's kind of doing this beautiful edit of all of these images she finds and other people's accounts. And, And it's such a point of view. And it's like, gosh, like she should do a magazine. Like that would be beautiful. I want more people to do more niche magazines. I think there's something different about seeing it on the printed page than just scrolling through in your Instagram. So I've noticed you're quite the collector of book stamps and little travel ephemera. Can -hmm. you tell me about how this obsession started? Being in the world of travel, like when I see somebody do things like I saw someone who was collecting sand 
every location they went to and putting it in jars and then making like one of those old school stamp printouts of each place. And they had a whole wall of it. And I was like, oh my God, I have to start doing collecting sand. And I was like, okay, maybe not. Maybe that's too far. But I collect shells. I collect, you know, coasters, napkins. I really am ready to open up a weirdo travel museum. <laughs> But I don't know where it came from. It's just a part of my thing. Are there any specific trips you've taken that's changed the way you think or shaped who you are today? Well, definitely that first trip to Greece was a a really big life-changing moment. And then um, a year later, after I graduated from high school, I went back. I feel like I have to clarify that since I said I came from a humble family, I definitely had to work really, really hard. And that's how I ended up being able to travel. My dad was a piano teacher, is a piano teacher still. And he taught me how to teach piano. So that was sort of my whole thing was like, I taught piano, I actually dropped out of school and did homeschooling so that I had more time to teach so that I could make more money. So if anybody's wondering, how did I get to do these exotic vacations on this, (laughs) on this like no support budget, um, that's how. But I ended up going on this program in this tiny little island called Kalimnos, um, which is like not the most beautiful island in Greece, but was incredibly untouched in 1986. I think it's still pretty raw. This program basically would take like 10 to 12 American kids And for four months, you just were super immersed in the Greek culture. Like I worked in a bakery every morning, every day of the week. And then in the afternoon, you had classes. And like that trip and being in this very small island, they gave me a new name. My name was Artemis. Like you (laughs) became a new, a, a different person for four months. And that really changed me completely where I went from being kind of a party girl in high school. I thought my goals were like, I'm going to run a nightclub and go to meet us. <laughs> and, and then after that, I was like, oh, I want to study classics and become like a professor. And so I ended up studying classics and I didn't become a professor, but yeah, it sort of like set me off on my, my love of, of travel. I mean, how different would your life be if you decided to go the first route and become oh a God. club owner? You might, you know, you might have a joint venture with Lindsay Lohan by now and Mykonos. Totally, totally. I love that. <laughs> you are obviously one of the most well-traveled people in the world with multiple routes. What makes New York home? You know, it's funny. We're actually like really going through this kind of, do we want to stay in New York? Probably for like a month, we were like, let's get out of New York. And now we kind of love it more than ever. I mean, besides the fact that we have a daughter who's going to be a senior in high school. And so that's always tied us to New York. And I've always had a job there. I think what makes New York feel like home for me is the kind of people who are living in New York are the kind of people that I think I relate to the most. And I think it's like an openness and a generous spirit. There's just such a deep kindness. I, all the cliches are true. It's it's a hard place to live, but once you get it under your skin, it's very hard to think about it not being home. What is the most underrated country you've ever traveled to? I 
am on a plane a lot, but I am not the most well-traveled person. There are so many people out there who have been so many more places, but I go to the same places over and over. So I feel like slightly fraud squad when it comes to like, I've never been to Australia. Like, how is that possible? But there are many places where I'm like, I can't believe I've never been there. But when it comes to underrated I went to Chile for the first time last year, and it's not a country that everybody's like, oh, it's so high on the list. Mm -hmm. And it's so amazing. Santiago is an amazing city. And then you have the amazing coastline. There's great architecture, fantastic artists there. It's such a rich place. And you pretty much have like no jet lag and it's night flights to get there. So I really loved Chile. Chile. And yeah, I think it's great. What is the first country you're eager to visit once the borders reopen? I have the most open windows in my Chrome where it's like the France, the Greece, the Italy, like just every day refresh and see if there's any. Greece is saying that they're opening to Americans at the end of July, but I'm basically making all New York plans for August with the option to pivot by mid-August and go to Greece for a couple weeks just if it happens to open. I'll definitely be following along for your updates because I'm also the person that is manically starting every morning with checking the EU's policy. (laughs) Totally, totally. I'm trying to balance the like, I really want to know if I can go with the enjoy where I am. And that's, I think that's the thing that's the most annoying. It's like, just say we can't come until September and then we can enjoy (laughs) wherever we are. But the not knowing is the part that's killing me. Do you have any parting advice for someone who wants to get their foot in the door, the Um, travel industry or travel media? Having a really strong point of view on Instagram is probably the very first place to start. I've had like young people who use Instagram just as a travel mood board and they're literally just curating other people's pictures. And it at least gives you a sense of like what this person's point of view is and what their aesthetics are. And in today's world, like where you can't be just a photographer or a writer, like you kind of need to be the content creator and be able to do it all. You really can show that best on Instagram. It's kind of hard to find the way to to talk about those things, but I think it is important for people to know that we're not just these like hashtag blessed people who just had like some trust fund um, that sent us and the hard work for it. That's where I think so much of why your imagery and your voice speaks so so much to me and to so many people. And I know we're wrapping it up, but one last thing I'll say is I met the former editor-in-chief of Departures, uh, this guy Richard David Story, many years ago. And the first time I met him, I said, you know, your editor letters, they're just so amazing to me. Like you have such an enthusiasm and a love for travel and it's so palpable in your letters. And he said, well, like, where did you come from? And he's like, oh, I'm just like, a kid from Oklahoma who didn't grow up with any of this. And I think that that really is where so much of it comes from. Like if you grow up with all of this, you don't have the profound, deep love for it once you finally are able to access it. Yeah. 
I think that that's really the the other thing is like, even if you can't afford it, you can show your love for it and you can find the ways to connect to it. Like travel doesn't have to be like you went there. When we finally can travel and you can be an editor or a content creator, hard work is so key to making it happen, but it's what makes it all the sweeter once you're there. Well, this has been so great chatting with you and we got to do more of this offline too. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Yolanda, thank you so much for joining us today on the Art of Travel podcast. And thank you for everyone tuning in. You can find Yolanda on Instagram under Yolanda Edwards and locate a copy of YOLO magazine at a local kiosk near you. The Art of Travel is created and hosted by Olivia Lopez, produced by Jason Stewart, and music composed by Slow Shiver. We'll see you soon.